On the latest episode of Into Music, Johnny Iguana discusses his time with blues greats Junior Wells and Otis Rush. I wrote down some stories that he told about what, what to do if I was ever in the city of Chicago and a lion was chasing me. He instructed me to jump into a swimming pool. That was my way to safety. That's Into Music, a new podcast from KMUW. You can find it at KMUW.org, on your KMUW app, and you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Tommy Orange, and I wrote a book called Wandering Stars. Tommy Orange's 2018 award-winning debut novel, There, There, explored the impact of generational trauma, particularly that of the Native American experience. Tommy Orange's new book, Wandering Stars, is both a prequel and a sequel to his first novel, but it serves as a standalone that won't confuse those who haven't read There, There. I recently spoke with Tommy Orange about the disease of addiction, revisiting the characters first brought to life in There, There, and more. From KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network, this is Marginalia. I'm Beth Golay, and here's my conversation with Tommy Orange. So we spoke with Kaveh Akbar a few weeks ago, and he told us that you two regularly exchange pages. He sang your praises and described Wandering Stars as both a prequel and a sequel to There, There. And I didn't quite understand what he meant until I started reading Wandering Stars, and I realized that you expanded the family tree a bit. It starts, you know, before, in 1924, with a recollection of the Sand Creek Massacre in 1864. And the second part is Aftermath, which picks up in 2018, where There, There ends. So talk to me about why you wanted to expand the story in each direction. And also, is it necessary for readers to have at least a familiarity with There, There before reading Wandering Stars? You could totally not read There, There, and and you're not going to miss anything. However, if you do read There, There, there'll be an enriching um, because you'll be familiar with this family, the Red Feather Bear Shield family. So I hadn't intended on um, having a historical piece. It sort of happened by chance. I was writing a straightforward sequel, and I happened upon this piece of history about uh, the prison castle in St. Augustine called Fort Marion. This piece of this sort of vital and, and horrible chapter of American history where we created this boarding school system. Before we did this to the kids, it started with prisoners of war at this prison castle. So Richard Henry Pratt put prisoners of war over a three-year period through a sort of education system where teaching Christianity and um, they would do military drills and dress, you know, in military garb. And um, they eventually ended up being prison guards to themselves. And it was so effective that he decided Let's do this to all of the native children and kill the Indian, save the man was the campaign that that ran on. I was doing research and there was a list of prisoners that I found. And one of the prisoners name was Star. And I already had decided on Wandering Stars as the title. Uh, it was sort of um, the beginning of writing the sequel. It, it came to me that that's what the title would be. And another one of the prisoners name was Bear Shield. So I already had Bear Shield written into there, there, and um, I decided I would I would make this sort of a family line. You would get this walking back in history through these generations before landing back with the aftermath of what happens at the end of there, there. So I think it's an important piece of history, and I've I've sort of found a way to weave it into there, there in a way that 
you sort of understand the context of this one family. So talk to me then about the disease of addiction, because the history there, it seems like addiction stays the same, but what changes are the substances. And I mean, you went through a whole range of substances in this book through this history. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, there's a stereotype of the drunk Indian or, you know, that's alcohol has been um, sort of aligned with Native people. And I think part of what I was doing with addiction was showing that it's not some specific connection to a substance, like whether some special relationship, it's that we are going through stuff and this, and what's at hand to deal with that uh, can turn into addiction because there's something that's not being addressed or, or we just can't handle the, the weight of, of what's happening to us. And I want to leave there, there out of this, but it seemed to me that there was a continuation of a theme of reflection with people seeing themselves on surfaces, whether it was, you know, on a screen or in water or in mirrors. Was there something there or was I just imagining that? You know, this is something that people noticed from in there, there that I totally didn't mean to do. Um, you know, I think I think I was just sort of rendering these realities. And I think in reality, we look at ourselves in mirrors all the time. Um, and it just happened to it happened to, you know, I, d- I honestly didn't even know I was still doing it in Wandering Stars. So <laughs> <laughs> um, if there's meaning there, then it's it's coming through unconsciously. Well, this is probably going to render the same answer there because there are also references to time, whether it was messing with time by cutting hair or how photos, you know, how taking photos is a way to steal back time. Or there was this quote, everyone only thinks we're from the past, but then we're here, but they don't know we're still here. And then it's like we're in the future, like time travelers would feel. So there were so many other references to time. Were you wanting to explore something about time or was that just me reading into it as well? Uh, well, no, I think I think there's um, meditations on time for sure that I was writing about. And, you know, when it comes to the quote you just read is 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 talking about how we as Native people think of ourselves. We've been trapped in history, and it puts us in this unique position when everyone around you, you know, a lot of people in this country only think of us in this one way. It makes you reflect on. A lot of things like the dominant narrative and what doesn't this country want to look back on? What can't it look back on? What can't it reckon with? Clearly, there's a lot we don't want to look at and why. So, you know, time is is something that I think about a lot, largely because of thinking about history and, and how the past can be present in the present. It seems like the characters were either struggling to discover their heritage or hold on to their heritage or perhaps forget their heritage. There was one mention in the book, though, that talked about finding your people. But this reference really had nothing to do with race. This character was non-binary. Can you talk to me about that? This was more um, a reflection on figuring out who your friend group might be in middle school when when it can be really awkward. Um, So it wasn't talking about anything cultural or tribal, but just, you know, that time period where people are... um, well, at least in in my experience, it's it's a really hard time to figure out where you belong. So that, it's a little bit more along those lines than than anything else. I loved the multiple meanings of Wandering Star, whether it was the name of, of the person who has left or the star-shaped bullet traveling through a body or, or another way to describe a planet. What meaning holds the most truth for you? Um, I think 
Well, it's it started with the Portishead song, and the Portishead song only exists in the book as a sort of if you know the lyrics, then you know that's the song I'm pointing to, but I don't say it outright. Um, when or one of the characters toward the end of the book sort of gets in trouble, and that's the song that's playing on the radio when it when this moment happens. Um, I I had heard the song at a certain moment in 2018 before there there even came out, and when I heard the song, I knew I was going to write a sequel and it was going to be called Wandering Stars. So um, that is important, but I, I wouldn't put more importance on that piece than, you know, discovering that it was actually a Bible verse and having Jude star uh, sort of struggle with Christianity and its meanings. And uh, so it means something different all over the place. And that's why I ended up calling it Wandering Stars instead of Wandering Star, because it has the the multiple references and meanings. I had forgotten about the Bible verse. You make a lot of references to characters reading other works in this book or even writing works. And, you know, I'm currently trying to read Moby Dick on the side. So, of course, I noticed the first words that Jude Starr spoke in English were, it's not down on any map. True places never are. Do the books that your characters read hold, you know, the same importance to you? No, not all of them. I have been trying to read Moby Dick for a long time. I think I had tried in the past and it, it's really, it's a tough read for me. And then Ocean Vuong, the, the novelist and poet, he sort of loves the book and, and I tried again after I'd learned that he did. Um, and so I, I guess I'm still slowly trying to get through it on the side as well. So it's not necessarily, it, it more fit something that I was doing with the character. Like there's another reference to Frankenstein um, and that's not uh, a book that I've even read, but it fits something. And it's a book from that time period. So uh, it's it's a mix. It's a mixture of if it fits, does it work? Or it's important to me. So I reference it just because it's important to me. There's another line that I highlighted. You will ask the librarian what novels are written by Indian people, and she will tell you that she doesn't think there are any. Was this your experience as a young reader as well? Yeah, I, I, except I didn't. I wasn't going around asking. Uh, but I certainly didn't have anybody like putting the book in my hand and being like, you need to read this. And there were in, you know, when I was a young person, there were books that existed that would have totally changed me. The native canon goes back to, you know, the sixties and um, that just never happened. I think the only book that I knew that existed about native people was the education of little tree. But as it turns out, the guy who wrote that was an ex KKK member. And he was a speechwriter for George Wallace, the one who wrote the line segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. He he faked being a, a native person. He sort of disappeared when politics didn't go well for him. People weren't being conservative enough. And he disappeared and then years later came back and had long hair and was calling himself Cherokee. And he changed his name from Asa Earl Carter to Forrest Carter. And he wrote in up writing a book called The Education of Little Tree. And that was taught in schools for years, even after people knew that this guy was um, not who he said, not, you know, he wasn't a native person. So that was the only book that I knew about growing up. It was written by an ethnic fraud person. And it went, there was no accurate details about Cherokee people in it. I want to ask about perspective and voice, because, you know, one chapter in particular, one section kind of jumped out at me 
And I, it, I didn't realize until I had gotten into it that, that the voice, the perspective had changed and it was Victoria's chapter. How do you decide um, what voice to tell what, what story? So part of my revision process is changing POV. When I am stuck or when I'm feeling like the voice isn't working, or if I just need to keep working, find a way to keep working, I'll just change either the tense, like from past to present, present to past, or I'll play with POV. I'll do first, second, or third. And a lot of times while I'm doing that kind of revision, it'll generate new language. Surprising things will come out of this very kind of tedious task because you're just changing a lot of words around to fit you changing pronouns or um you know a lot of wases to is and that's you know but if if you if you feel stuck or like you don't feel inspired or sometimes you hate your own work you can sort of put yourself to work on things that you if if you're feeling like you want to generate new writing you don't want to do those tedious things so it's it's a way to keep working and i'll figure out if the pov that i switch it to works and if it doesn't then I may have generated what one or two sentences that I wouldn't have otherwise generated. And so that is just the way that I revise. I, I use POV changes to get fresh eyes on my own work uh, when I sometimes can't stand to look at it. I want to talk about the setting a little bit, Oakland, California, which I understand this is where you live. Can you tell me about the city and why it served as the best location for There, There and Wandering Stars? Well, I was born and raised here. I think as writers, we often write about home and its meaning. I also worked in the Native community for almost a decade um, doing uh, nonprofit work. I had a lot of different roles. I started off as a data entry clerk um, and ended up, you know, building this media center and, you know, designing flyers and doing short videos and eventually digital storytelling work in the community. And I really came to know the community really well and and know its history and knew that there was a story that was not being told about a place. There's not that many books about Oakland. There's not that many Oakland authors um, that felt underrepresented. Um, and as I said before, the depiction of Native people, the way I saw it was almost always historical, nothing contemporary and never us relating to cities, even though for more than a decade, 80% of us live in cities. And so that's a lot of untold stories. And I and I felt like Oakland was, you know, it, it was a way to write about home and it was a way to write about urban Native people. Have you ever played war with lemons? Because the rules seemed so defined. And I wondered if it came from your <laughs> life. <laughs> no, that was completely made up. You know, I mentioned that we spoke with um, Kaveh Akbar a few weeks ago, and I'm, I want to ask you something that I saw in both of your books. Who is Clarice Lispector? Yeah, and I, and I don't know if I was meant to respond about the Kaveh Akbar um, thing, but yes, we we sort of um, we met um, in 2019 and became fast friends, and now we're we're super close, and we've been trading pages every Friday. And sort of wrote these books together. Uh, Martyr and Wandering Stars are, you know, best friends in a way. And we were talking about how musicians, like being jealous of musicians and how they get to practice together. And writers are like so solitary and lonely people. And so we started trading pages as a way to, you know, practice together um, or, or generate that same feeling. I'm actually reading um, her 
last book is, is called Hour of the Star. And that was, that's the first book that I recommend to everyone as, as a doorway into Clarissa Spector. Um, she is a Brazilian writer, um, no longer with us. She is a sort of mystic. Um, the people that know and love her are devoted to her. I would say she's not for everyone because she's kind of experimental, but she changed me as a person and as a writer. And and, re- and at the time that I read her, you know, made me want to write, um, made me take it more seriously. Um, so she's just, you know, a dear uh, writer to to many writers, but not that many people. Know. I mean, she's there's been a resurgence in, in interest in her. They just, I think New Directions just put out her complete stories, which is a really massive book. There's a lot of stories and she's got um, a bunch of other really strange, um, brilliant works out there. Did writing this book affect you at all? Was it, was it therapeutic? I think in part, I would never say that's the whole, that's the whole of the effect that's happening. I think writing is, is a way that I process the world and, and pain, you know, thinking and feeling through writing and, um, there are aspects of it definitely that that I think um, address things that I that, and clarify things that um, inside that, that feel good and make me feel better. Uh, but it's it's painstaking work, and I would never like call it therapeutic outright. But I I can't help but say that there's there are aspects of it that help me process the world for sure. Well, the book is Wandering Stars. Tommy Orange, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. That was Tommy Orange, author of the book, Wandering Stars, which was published by Knopf. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producers are Haley Krausen and Katie Lanning. And our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia. And for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.